Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. The following audio was recorded at Refresh Network Online, an online community for gospel encouragement and refreshment for Christian leaders and their spouses. It is a real joy to um, to share with you this morning, if a little daunting. Um, it's daunting talking to a bunch of pastors, but actually it's more daunting um, just talking about our great God, and, and in particular with a subject I want to share with you this morning, talking about uh, the command to love the Lord your God. And as we think about his great love for us, we, we're looking at a subject that is so, so vast. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and, uh, and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I'm sure that you will have been called into many situations where a marriage is, is, is struggling. And, and the, the dreaded sentence is, is one says concerning the other, I simply don't love them anymore. Um, we obviously tell them that they need to learn to love, they, they, that God, if they ask God in his grace, he will enable them to love their husband or wife. The truth is, if love has gone out of a marriage, the relationship really doesn't bode very well. Because without love, intimacy is not possible. And, and when uh, the Lord, the Jesus repeated that great commandment in, in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 38, he said, this is the first and greatest commandment. Because without such love for God that affects our, our hearts, our souls, our minds, our strength, true intimacy with God is not possible. It's stating the obvious, isn't it, that a, a keen theological mind is a little youth without a warm heart. I, had a, 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 I have a wonderful friend, and a few years ago, he retired from a, a high-pressure job in London. And he said, you know, do you think we could spend a little bit of time together? And so over several weeks, in fact, several months, we met together every week and read and prayed together. And we read The Reformed Pastor together by John Owen. And, and he always teased me because he said that I always highlighted the mushy bits. And I always teased him because he always highlighted or always understood the structure of the passage. I was grateful to him for his academic mind and his ability to understand the structure but also he was grateful that I did see the mushy bits and the balance together was a great blessing to us both. As, as I come to terms of the changes in my own life over the last couple of years, stepping down from pastoring in the same church for over 30 years and, uh, and all the changes that that's brought about, the, the thing of supreme importance to me seems to be to have a heartfelt love for God. Without such love that drives us forward in joyful fellowship, our Christian lives become 
dry and our ministry, quite frankly, becomes ineffective. Paul went further in, in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22. He said, if anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. So my first question, very simply, is, is why love, love God? Or, or what is it that draws us to God? And of course, you all know the answer to that. We love because he first loved us. The thing is, we must believe that he loved us. Jesus said that the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. To respond to the love God has for us, we must believe that he first loved us. And that, I put it to you, is the really difficult part for us. It seems, in a sense, more humble of us, more realistic to doubt God's love for us. Yet by so doing, we reduce God in our minds to something that is more akin to a human being. He is far, far above the limitations of the human mind. Now, you know the passage I'm going to quote now in Isaiah 55, which comes on the back of God simply saying, you know, he's not like us. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. If I can quote something J.I. Packer said, there is a tremendous relief in knowing that his love for me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can now disillusion him about me in the way that I am often disillusioned about myself and quench the determination to bless me. What remarkable words they are. We need to ask for help to love God. I've often asked God in the past few months or the past year or two to enable me to love him. I suppose I've come to realise, and I didn't really realise this before, how much my identity was wrapped up in what I did as a pastor. And so my prayer that I would love him more is simply so that my identity may be more in him and, and in, in, my, in his love for me. I often ask him to captivate my heart with his beauty his loveliness, his majesty. But I've also freely admitted to him that I found myself, that I find it so hard to believe that he loves me with a perfect love. The simple fact is, I feel I am so unlovable. And if I doubt his love for me, how can I love him as I should. If I can quote Mr. Packer again, I've just read his um, book on holiness. If you have been resigning yourself to the thought that God has left you high and dry, seek grace to be ashamed of yourself. Such unbelieving pessimism deeply dishonours our great God 
and Saviour. Jesus said in John 15, and again, this is a passage I find so, so helpful, and I have done for so long in ministry in so many areas. But in this area, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without the Spirit's intervention, we would never have trusted him in the first place for salvation. And we need the continuing enabling of God's Spirit. Jesus says, remain in me. In verse 7 of that John 15, remain in my love. And so it's vital that we meditate on him, that we think about our debt being paid on the cross, that we think about his promises never to leave us, that we think about his promises for the future. I was um, in conversation with Richard, and I do hope you'll forgive me, Richard, for quoting something I expect maybe you've forgotten saying, but we were talking about retirement. And Richard said it feels a little bit as though retirement is, is the end, the next step is death. But actually, the next step is not death. The next step is what he's promised to give to us. And it's good. I find it's good now increasingly to think about that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, John says. And as I meditate on those things and I meditate on my future, then it increases my love for him. But then how do we love? If, if I'd have gone home to my um, father when I'd first met my, my now wife, who next week I'll have been married to for 41 years, and, and he'd have sat me down and he'd have said, now, Mark, listen, I'm going to tell you how you are to love your, your girlfriend. I would have laughed at him. I would have said, I don't need instructions on how to love. I can't help but love. But actually, the command to love God does come with instructions, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, obviously, now is not the time to dissect how loving with our heart differs from loving with our soul and with our mind and with our strength. But the picture painted here very simply is loving God is, first of all, all-consuming. It affects every area of our lives, our thoughts, our intellect. Secondly, it's intentional. That's why we, we try, that's why we cry out for enabling. It, demand, it demands an act of the will. Lord, please help me to love you. There's a decision we make with our mind. But it's also eternal. Our love for God will only ever be perfected in heaven, but it will be perfected in heaven. And there we will love as we are loved. Real love for God is relational. It comes as an instinctive response to his love for us. A young man rang me up yesterday, a young pastor, and said, Mark, I've got my first wedding coming up. And 
uh, you know, can you give me a little bit of instruction and help? And, and, you know, what sort of passages? And I said, well, actually, Ephesians 5 is a good passage to go to. Paul instructed husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. A wife experiencing such love would gladly submit to her husband. Likewise, if we understand something of that love for us, we can't help but to love God. Last time, quoting J.I. Packer, but let me quote just a couple of things he said about the astounding truths of God's love for us. Through setting his love on human beings, God has voluntarily bound up his own final happiness with theirs. He has, in effect, resolved that henceforth, for all eternity, his happiness shall be conditional upon ours. Thus God saves, not only for his glory, but also for his gladness. That is truly astounding. God's own happiness is bound up with ours. So of course, he commands us to love him. It is a relational thing. And that happiness of God being bound up with ours, I find truly astounding. Let me finish just briefly as we think about the results of loving. Another verse which has had a profound effect on me, I've often gone back to it, is, is John 14, 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. It is, first of all, or rather, uh, that love for God, first of all, leads to obedience. If anyone loves me, he will obey my commandments. And that obedience will lead to fellowship. Isn't that remarkable? As we love the Lord Jesus because the Spirit has put that love in us for him, because we understand what he's done for us on the cross and that that love continues towards us. And as we instinctively love him, we instinctively obey his commandments. And so we enjoy that wonderful fellowship with him. You know, the well-known verse in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. It's fellowship that he longs to have with us. Our love for God has an impact on our families, our church, and, and the wider community, fellow pastors, the world in which we live. Jesus went on in Matthew and said that the second 
and, and the, uh, the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It affects us. It affects the whole way we live. It affects the whole way in which we minister. As I close, I've just been on holiday and I've read this, this wonderful book by uh, Michael Reeves, Rejoice and Tremble, which is really speaking about the, the love of God, or rather the fear of God, understanding the fear of God. And I'd never really appreciated how closely fearing God is to loving God. If I can just finish with this quote, as our love for God is a trembling and wonder-filled love, so our joy in God is, at its purest, a trembling and wonder-filled, yes, fearful joy. For the object of our joy is so overwhelmingly and fearfully wonderful. We are made to rejoice and tremble before God, to love him and enjoy him with an intensity that is fitting for him. And what more befits his infinite magnificence than an enjoyment of him that is more than our frail selves can bear, which overwhelms us and causes us to tremble. Normally, our joy in God is cold and tarnished. We could say our love in God is cold and tarnished. But as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we become ever more fearfully happy like our God. My prayer is that all of us will appreciate God's remarkable love for us, that we'll believe that love is real and continuing towards us. And that the response will be that we love him, that we obey his commandments, and that we know a fellowship with him that affects our lives and our ministries, that makes us bright lights in this dark world. There are three questions that I've left for us to discuss, and I know Jess will put them up on the screen. Should it trouble us if our hearts are not increasingly drawn in felt love for God? The second one is, how can we balance things up if we find our hearts are more drawn to our ministries, families, popularity, material things, etc., rather than to God? And the third question is, how will a relational love with God affect our lives, our ministries? and our relationships, etc. Many thanks. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.